Hello, and welcome to the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry, where we'll be speaking with and interviewing the best talent in the business, taking not only a deep dive into what it takes to put on a world-class show, but also life on the road and sharing experiences that span the globe, highlighting the people that are responsible for making your favorite artists look and sound great. My name is Matt Kanzi, and your host on this podcast is Chris Kanzi, a 40-year veteran in the live music touring industry. Over the years, Chris has traveled the globe several times over and has escalated through the ranks, bringing him to the top of his profession. He has established hundreds, if not thousands, of connections with other industry professionals, artists, and musicians. This podcast is your backstage pass to what happens behind the scenes and on the road when traveling and working with some of the world's top musicians. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, Brother Chris. How are you today, man? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Doing good. Just uh, prepping for the holiday. So in this strange era of COVID, seems to be our opening topic, right? And how things are weird. Yeah, yeah, I see. I see. You know, I, I can see you. Just the listeners know that you you all have a hat on, and you look very wintry up there in Connecticut. And I know you guys just got pounded by by a lot of snow. Do you got you got snow on the ground outside your window? We did. Yeah, we got about uh, eight or ten inches here, and now it's kind of because of the sun and whatnot. It's kind of co- compact down to maybe five or six inches or so. But yeah, nice. it's oh, still cool. out there. Cool. Well, yeah, it's good. The Moderna vaccine came out today, which is incredibly exciting. So we've got two vaccines. So between, you know, FedEx and UPS and CVS and Walgreens and whoever the fuck is else is out there helping, you know, Mm. hopefully this will get back on track and and, and get, uh, you know, get going. I heard um, on the news today, projection was um, for general public, um, probably like mid-summer maybe, you know. But yeah. hopefully it'll be quicker than that. Hopefully it'll be quicker. Yeah, they, they were saying April, but you know, who knows? Yeah. No. Anyway. Yeah. So, hey, uh, it's always great to see you again. Um, I'll wish you a Merry Christmas on the back end of this one, but let's get into it. So this is going to be cool because I can't wait to hear this, uh, you know, the, the background of our guests today because you, you, gave, you filled me in on a little bit of stuff, but uh, definitely a fan uh, of uh, some of the content here. So why don't you uh, let us know what's going on? Yeah, t- t- today we have... Uh you know, I'd like to say an old friend. I haven't seen him in, in, in forever. Uh, we used to socialize a lot in the old days, but we've got Kevin Lyman today. He's the, uh, you know, for those who don't know the name, you certainly know the Warped Tour. Kevin uh, started the Warped Tour and operated it for, you know, 20-ish years. And, and, uh, and you know, he's here to talk about it with us a little bit and, and whatever else he wants to talk about. So hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Chris. It is great to see you again. You know, it is one of those things, you know, it's like you flash back and go, wow, where did all those years go, you know, in this business? And uh, I think we before the podcast, we were talking about, you know, relationships, how, you know, you don't see people in our business and then you seem to pick up a conversation like, oh, wow, you just start talking again. And, you know, it's a gap could be there of decades now and you just pick up in that conversation. And uh, it's kind of how I think we've trained ourselves to have these somewhat uh, transient relationships that are super important, but you they're not someone you keep in contact with on a regular basis. But I think one of the things with COVID is that we've learned how to kind of slow down and reconnect and, and realize who those people were that were important to your lives. You know, mm. uh, we have uh, many, many people, and, and I've learned in this business now 
in it over 40 years, believe it or not, you know, like similar to you, that, you know, you're going to come across tens of thousands of people. You're just going to come across so many people. Yeah. People that you go, wow, I've never really got to sit down and, and spend that time with that many, many people have few, fewer contacts, but lo- stronger relations. So I've been utilizing a lot of this time to kind of, you know, choose who were going to be your friends. And it was also one of those things, who are your real friends in this world and who's going to be there when it's, as Shaggy, as Shaggy once said, you know, who's going to have your back when it's all done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, well, very well said, very well said. I'm kind of, I'm kind of living some of that now as well. You know, uh, obviously staying in touch with the close friends, but uh, hooking up with people again, you know, like you, and it's been so long, you know, that I had to actually ask one of our, you know, friends for your contact information because I didn't have it. I was so like, you know, I went to look for it. Of course, I've got Kevin's number. Of course, I've got an email. It's like, no. We had the Kevin, no. yep, we had the Kevin warped at AOL email address. <laughs> I finally, May, I think 2019, right before we did our 25th anniversary shows and everything, that uh, they convinced me to blow up one day. And as usual with me, I just turned it off. There was no like forwarding. You know, can you imagine after 25 years, that was my first email address because when Warp Tour started, it was right when we started using email on a regular basis. And mm. so you needed an email address. And it was like Kevin Warped at AOL. Perfect. Well, I kept that all the way to that May. Can you imagine the amount of spam that was coming through five years of AOL address? Um, and it was what it was one of those places that would people would go. And it had gotten to this point where you know, you, the people that you would hear of from once a year, and you know that, you know, the people that would be asking you for a guest list, you wouldn't hear from them for a year. And they'd email you a year later, almost to the day and say, sorry, I haven't gotten back to thank you for the tickets last year, but I'd really like to go if I can come this year. So knowing that we were going into the end of the, end of the warp Tour, kind of the finale, I just, one day my office, and I just turned it off. So you. had that contact, uh, were, kind of in shock, but you know, people knew how to get a hold of me. You know, I've kind of trained, you know, through the years. Uh, I do miss that period in time when I did get to work with so many of you guys coming through and, uh, you know, coming through once every four months, five months, as I, when I was a local production manager, Yeah, people and, you know, and a lot of those, you guys, you kind of worked within a scene of music that I was very involved in, but as you guys stayed in there, I kept working in that warped world where it was always about new bands, new bands, new things. And, uh, you know, we led parallel lives, but, you know, we never quite, the, the lanes never crossed that much anymore. Right, right. Well, I, I remember, and I don't know if maybe you'll tell me if you remember this. <clears throat> the first time I laid eyes on you uh, was in the Palladium. I'm standing on stage. I was with, might have been Soundgarden or something. It was like really like 30 years ago. And you started coming in the side door with the barricade. You were delivering a barricade and you had this really interesting hat on that stood really tall. And it was like this really funky, it'd be a hipster hat now, but back then it was just cool. And you were doing it all by yourself. And I think the stagehands must've been cut or something. So I jumped down there and helped you and we set up the barricade together. And that's how we met. And that's how we started uh, our relationship, friendship. Yeah. And you were always a production manager that came out of the office and helped load the trucks. You helped push gear. I remember that about you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you didn't sit there. And the road manager's name, last name was Sokol, right? Um, 
was it Mark Sokol at that point? Was I'm uh, at, at the Palladium? I, 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 you know what? That was that was Golden Voice, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I had a very strange dream about the road manager of Soundgarden at that point just the other day. And uh, Kevin Wilkins, I emailed Kevin the other day and said, "Wow." Oh, tour manager. Oh, the tour and, manager for Soundgarden at the time was DC Parmet. DC. So Mark Sokol hadn't done. It might have been after a post or something, but I, I yeah. had some thoughts about that band and. Uh, yeah, but that was, you know, those were the days when, you know, you worked and people ask me now, you know, now that I'm a full-time professor and they, I think people laugh when they hear Professor Lyman. It was it's kind of a, like the first time that someone said that we were on a tour bus and <laughs> we were leaving a venue on Warp Tour, you know, and everyone's having a couple beers and we're a long day and everyone's laughing in the bus and I get a cell phone call and I, you know, for some reason I put it on speaker just because it was loud in the bus and I, but my phone wasn't working right because it'd been, it'd been rained on all summer and everything and the only thing that worked as a speaker and when someone actually said is this P professor lyman well i've never heard people laugh so hard in their life <laughs> that, that they heard this professor lyman like coming off us and uh you know uh you know it, it's just a, a different chapter in my life but but that that yeah. time, you know um was it was a great time because i was working you know 320 shows a year mm. um i worked every day I, and i tell people it was like I worked every single day, whoever it was. I never judged the bands. I never, maybe there were certain bands I was more excited about working with than others. Of course. Of course but yeah. um, it was just, you know, how you got this kind of broader scope of what music was all about and what this business was all about. And, um, you know, I look back now and, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I've had a great run. Now it's just learning how to run a little differently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do, I definitely am, am interested in the whole professor thing. And I do want to get to that. Um, so yeah, so those early days, you were, you know, you you, you worked, was it, were you a Golden Voice employee? Yeah, Is that well, what you were? I was a freelance production <clears throat> manager, because, you know, um, there's a lot, the whole history of Golden Voice and, and kind of Gary's background. And I kind of picked up very early that it was probably smart for me to start my own company. So yeah. I started Kevin Lyman production services in Los Angeles. Right. So I was, you know, a contractor, big, you know, contractor to do golden voice shows. I was doing some Nederlander shows. I was doing a couple Avalon shows. I was doing uh, Bill Silva down in San Diego. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I remember that. I was running down to do the sports arena or whatever venue I could put to, Oh, I worked, you know, with Len from Soma, that crazy venue down there before. Right. You know, but I, I kind of worked with whoever was going to, you know, pay me that day. You know, I was kind of a gun for hire and, and kind of started building that network of crew people who many of them have gone on to do good things in this business and, and yeah. companies. Uh, but I, I was kind of never beholding, but Golden Voice was the nuts and bolts. And that kind of had come from, being in college when I was putting on those shows to raise money for the ski club and ski team and was working with people like oh, Tolette, wow. Paul Tolette and um, all of a sudden those, you know, Paul's now we're gone on to create Coachella and you know, it's, it's, and they were working for golden voice. And I, I went away and ran away to Hawaii and worked at a, a weight loss camp for girls out of college. <laughs> I really didn't know what I was going to do and came back. But that experience that I had from putting on those events in college, people said, look, Kevin, you, you could do just fine here. And, ended up working down at Fender's ballroom. And, and um, then we did a couple co-promotes and there wasn't a lot of qualifications, you know, now I would say, you know, if you're going to go into production, you want to learn things like CAD and vector and maybe cinema 3d and you want to no. excel and you want to have all this technology is really taking control of that world we lived in. Back then, I think the greatest skill set up was I knew how to read, you know, <laughs> <laughs> 
reading was like, wow, you know, I, it, it was the first time, you know, Golden Voice was actually getting contracts from bands, you know, some of those bands like the Circle Jerks and those bands would actually have a writer. And up until that point, and it was a lovely company, but it was kind of ruled by the fist. Like, you know, if the road manager wasn't happy with the thing, he had to fight the, 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 the promoter. You know, it was a very, like, very rudimentary um, law of the land kind of thing, you know. Mm. And that's where I developed those long-term relationships, though, with people like yeah. Fat Town, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Dave Ratt would be there with a little 24-channel mixing desk, and 12 channels were on fire 10 minutes before. <laughs> Iggy Pop went on stage and he'd be there and he'd go, don't worry about it, Kevin, we'll get to get it together. And uh, it would go together funny. and a show and, and um, you know, cut our teeth together. So there's this crew of people that kind of cut their teeth together that have gone on and supported each other through this business. And I think if you latest, it'd be interesting seeing the pyramid of what came out of that time and where everyone went. And, mm. uh, and, and I, those times were amazing. I, I, re I really have such fond memories of those days. I mean, we were working hard. We weren't making any money, but somehow we were happier, happier, you know. Back yeah, then. you know, I mean, it was, you know, um, at that point, we all ran around with a fanny pack on and, and everyone was goes, why are you wearing those stupid fanny? They didn't realize that everything we owned was in there. All the cash right. we paid, every bit of things we owned, because we usually lived in a house with multiple people that we couldn't afford to leave our valuables <laughs> behind. So you would carry everything you owned in these stupid vision fanny packs at that point, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, you, you, you look at that and you, you don't long for that time, but you remember that time fondly in many ways. I, of course you do. You know, you were always progressing forward and, you know, I don't think it would be quite becoming for an almost 60 year old person now to be running around with the fame. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're making a comeback from what I hear. Yeah, probably with that, you know, that hat I wore, that, that, that kind of famous cowboy kind of high hat I w had with me that couldn't get rid of. And, you know, it would get swept out in large crowds at festivals. And when I was on Lollapalooza and we'd go out and, and then it was such a horrible hat, it would end up coming back over the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Put it back on and get moving uh, in life. And uh, I, I remember the first thing that I remember that the big first big thing you pulled off, which just blew everybody away, was during that when they were shooting the Strange Days film in Los Angeles, and you and you somehow parlayed that into your favor because what they wanted to do was there was it was a Strange Days movie it was Ray Fiennes and Juliette Lewis, and the scene was this big New Year's Eve turn of the century party. And it was I like worked that. I worked that. Chris, you got me a gig, and I worked, was downtown at a rave. Um, uh, I worked that. You did. How I fun. did. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, no, please, no. I, I was there downtown LA during that scene. Um, I think it was made. It might have been with LSD. Uh, we had the moving intelligent lights and down, you know, down there, like the icons, right? Yeah, uh, but anyway, so, so, sorry, I didn't mean you know. Oh no, no, no. So it's quite all right. The more color, the better. So what 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 Kevin did is they, they needed to get an audience there to create a rave. So what you did is you 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 I don't know. Did you advertise? But you charged yeah, yeah, yeah. charged ten bucks a head, and you had ten thousand people there, and you put yeah, the money yeah. in your pocket. It was absolutely was brilliant. It was Moss Jacobs, you know, said, "Hey, Kevin, you know, can we pull this off?" I'm like, "You know, me." I was always like, sure, we can pull this off. And um, each day that week, I think the band was called Trivium that would play like during the filming. They were filming for about a week and we'd have to pull a stage on and they would just do their little crowd shots. But on a Saturday night, we had to, we were able to block off the streets, create this atmosphere. Um, Delight was the band. Uh, Delight, Groove is in the Heart came down. And we just, you know, back then, it was just starting to get to that point about 
street vibes and raves and dance parties. And they said, can you get people downtown? And we, we thought we would get, you know, a couple thousand people probably would have covered it, but literally 10,000 people came down and paid $10 and we had ticket booths collecting the money. And, you know, and, and it was just this crazy thing and it, it went so well. And we were supposed to go till four o'clock because they thought it would take that long to film it, that, they got all the shots they could ever imagine. There was people climbing the building, the Bonaventure Hotel, there was fireworks, there was all this stuff going on that I remember the fire marshal and the film company like shutting it down at like one in the morning, you know? And there's people, you know, with tanks and it was crazy, but yeah. they shut it down because they got everything they needed and then they kind of turned on us and said, okay, we're shutting this down for a fire. They said there was too much paper from the confetti. There was tons oh, of it wow. that they were well, shut down. Uh, the funniest ironic thing about that, probably now the statute of limitations on some things are over, but <laughs> at the end of that thing, the bags of cash from the $10, there was paper bags full of cash that was just sitting in the booth from people coming in. <laughs> and and uh, Moss is like, and we didn't know what to do with it. So he just goes, here, take some of these. And he took some of those and we paid an extra crew and, and they never asked, no one ever asked about that $10 a ticket. So it was great bonuses that night for everyone. Oh, I know, I know. That was awesome. I do, I do have a great memory of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was, that was early nineties. That was, that was back when downtown LA was not what it is now. I mean, you, it was, you know, Skid Row and, and, and a bunch of closed businesses at night, but you know, yeah, you we would, you'd never shows. be able to do that downtown now. We used to do shows on Broadway and I go by all those theaters now, how we would rent a, like the, the theater, Somehow we got a connection. You know, Gary Tovar had the connection. He go, Kevin, go down and deal with this guy. He's going to let you into the building. You figure out how we're going to do the chili peppers down there in two weeks. And then I'd pay the guy and we'd bring a generator in. And the next door was the actual old Mayan, the Mayan theater, which I would help redesign the Mayan theater. I built that thing. Wow. Came out good. And I did a good job with that. But it, back then it was a porn theater. It was a porn theater. And we didn't have any way to advertise where the chili peppers were. So we put in cardboard signs. We pay the guy 20 bucks to put it on his marquee with an arrow pointing next door. Oh, funny. And, uh, and the police would just drive by and kind of look at us because they just didn't want to deal with it. So looking at downtown here and then is a whole different mindset in the old variety art center. You know, we used to have the riots up and down the streets, which would now be Staples Center. Um, yeah, it was, we were kind of a fearless company. And I think that's, you know, it's, to me, it was ironic. You start looking back in life and you kind of go, who were your mentors and people who influenced you? And people don't realize the influence that Gary Tovar, you know, Gary Tovar founded Golden Voice. And yes, he was one of the biggest marijuana distributors on the West Coast, as a lot of people, you know, later found out. But he had such a passion and love of music that he was very similar to like a Bill Graham that always felt that we needed to deliver something special or deliver the packaging. You know, when as a young person, promoter rep production person as I was, he would all of a sudden say, hey, Kevin, I'm adding these two bands 10 minutes before doors, you know, or something, or <laughs> have to go up. And then I'd have to talk to people like yourself who are the touring artists that are coming in expecting a pack, say, no, we got to put these two bands on the show. And you'd be like, wait, no, we can't. And we'd have to negotiate and figure it out. But I always learned a lot from Gary. And I look back now as, as someone that Gary was such a passion. He's still so passionate about music. It's crazy. Pre-COVID, you went to a show in LA, Gary's still out every night watching music. And out of that golden voice, which was that kind of rough and tumble, the company that when Avalon got Bon Jovi and, and got Journey and all those bands, we were working with those bands that no one wanted to touch. The Jane's Addictions, the Black Flags, those kind of bands. And the right. 
the sound gardens and the, you know, we were working with all the bands that maybe they did, Avalon wasn't working with at that point. But I look back and go, think about that. Gary Tovar inspired Paul Tolette to create something like Coachella. He inspired Kevin Lyman to create something like Warp Tour and Mayhem and Taste of Chaos, where we always tried to deliver a little more than what the fans expected. Mm. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit in the business because of, you know, you know, but he was very, very similar to someone like a Bill Graham, which we also all looked up to as yeah. people. And unfortunately, this generation would never get to to know him because he passed away. But right. Gary, Gary Tovar really inspired him. He, he was a catalyst to a lot of people who went on and did some great things in the business. Oh, that's, that's such a good to hear you tell that story, too, because, you know, you know, like you were saying, you know, people don't know these names. And people need to know these names, you know, because I think it's important. You know, where did this stuff come from? I mean, he's his influence, you know, and, you know, with the shows you were doing and his influence, those are, that's how you started these relationships with, you know, the Bad Religions and the Pennywises and the No FXs, all these bands that, that helped you carry the Warps tour for so many years. So I can, I can, I can see, you know, just from hearing you recall this, uh, you know, how, you know, your ethos was created for Warps tour almost in a way, like giving them something different because the Warp tour, you know, Sure, it was punk rock. It was during the day, but you know, it was it just kept giving and kept giving and kept changing and it kept evolving. And uh, you know, you just explained how you cut your teeth in that path. <laughs> yeah, after stage managing that first Lollapalooza in 1991, I swore I would never want to work with a lighting person again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was uh, you know I was going out into that tour at a. I'd never been on the road before, believe it or not. And all of a sudden, those bands, because they knew me in L.A., said, you need to be part of this, Kevin. You're part of this culture. You need to come out and do this. And, and I think a lot of people were, they thought I'd fall flat on my face, which I almost did that first year. You know, it was just the first few days. I thought I had to do everything. Because when you work in a club setting, you, you're used to doing security. You're used to doing front of house stuff. You're used to, all of a sudden, I'm in a setting where my job was as a stage manager. That was like my sole exclusive job on that tour. Right. And I thought I had to do everything and everything. And by the end of that summer, though, we had brought a lot of young lighting people out on the road. There were young people who had never done more than the Roxy. You know, they'd worked maybe the Palladium or something. And, and, then, and all of a sudden, we've got this massive lighting rig. And these guys, like, could not figure out how to make it work. They couldn't make – they just weren't – they weren't trained enough on that. We jumped right. – clubs to amphitheaters and i'll never forget like sitting there one day and we got very few days off and we were working our ass off on that tour and they said oh we need to do a pre-rig and a lighting because they want to come in and focus and we're talking two-thirds of the way through the tour and i'm like you know what those guys that can unload the truck they can pre-rig they can set it because i can barely get the sound system up every day which to me it was always about the sound sound yeah. is passion and I always like our shows many times were, were driven by that emotion. Your heart just makes you go crazy. And yeah. I, it's a moment bands needed to switch to lighting and effects and things like that. But we weren't quite there yet. And all of a sudden they're trying to add all this stuff to the show. So when I started Warped Tour, it was very easy. I said, if I could do something during the daytime, there was multiple reasons. But if I never have to deal with a lighting person to get in my life, I was cool with it. <laughs> you know? Now, now lighting's become much more efficient and I remember. Oh yeah, of course it is, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. So, you know, tell me the, 
and I'm sure you've told the story more times than you, you, you probably care to, but you know, what's in a nutshell, what was the idea behind Warped? And, and what, what, and what, I mean, it took a lot of courage and a lot of balls to, to, to get that started. Cause you know, that is not, that was not a small endeavor, you know? It really was, you know, it was, we'd been doing those lifestyle shows, you know, and, and I, I, I start with my each I have a class over at, at USC now and I asked my students three things that help you build your catalyst of your life and your brand because we're each individual brands. And I say, mine was music, philanthropy, and education. You know, that's what I've always based everything I did. But back then it was kind of like listening and understanding culture. And we were doing events, philanthropic events that blended the music we worked with. So you would have Pennywise and you would have the offspring and you would have a skateboard ramp and a snowboard board across and we'd raise money for AIDS. Uh, the board aid events, the boarding for breast cancer events, things like that, where we're, we're blending this lifestyle that we were leading in Southern California. We, a lot of times would do a show. I was doing the Swatch Impact Tour, uh, which was had skateboarding and music. And so I was doing these events and, and overhearing, and, I, and this is where I tell people in the business, you need to listen to everything in the world around you. Um, I have a term called road dumb. So often we become road dumb when we're just, we just become so focused, we don't worry about the world. And that's good sometimes, you want to escape the world. But listen to the world around you. And I literally backstage, I was sitting there and we've been doing these events and I heard someone talking about the X Games and said, the X Games are, are going to be on television. It's going to be created for, yes, it's going to be on television. It's going to blend all, everything we were doing there. And I go, you know what? This culture that we live in Southern California is going to be spreading across the country now. It's going to yeah. have a platform to help spread the word it's going to be bigger like these bands that i love the sublimes the no doubt this music that was strong i said you know what for one last summer and it was only going to be one summer because at that point chris had already worked a decade in the business maybe a little more i said you know i, I probably maybe need to go get that real job we were having our first child maybe i need to get a paycheck for a week i i need to to maybe slow settle it into a more of a, a, a mm -hmm. A life that could be a little more accepted by society. Your bag, your bag of ten dollar bills was almost gone. Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know that that's not a way you, in the long run. To, uh, but um, I said, you know, we need. To, why don't we go try to do this ourselves? Uh, let's try to control that environment ourselves, so we're not working for someone else. I go, someone's going to try to put something out on the road, and it's going to blend this life. So why don't I be the guy that does it? I've lived this lifestyle. I've been around it. Um, and I'd learned a lot from doing Lollapalooza. Um, I'd been on the road enough by then to understand how to make things work. Um, I drew, drew things that I thought was very positive and very, some things I didn't think were so great about festivals. And, and I'd worked around so many artists and things and to watch how they toured and worked that I said, you know what, I'm going to try to create something that suits how I feel a show should be done, how an artist would be represented on a show I should do. And I'll go try it for one summer. And literally that was the plan, Go no plan. And, you know, to be honest, there was never really any plan in my life. I've never really had a plan. And I would, <laughs> and I would say, you know, I want to take care of my family. There's responsibilities that have come through the years, um, you know, and that those responsibilities are to my wife and my daughters and, you know, to make sure that they have a roof over their head and they're taken care of. But beyond that, I never really had a plan because I always think the best times are going to be in front of you. And the first time I ever really had a plan was in 2017 when I said, you know what, we're going to wind this warp Tour down in, at the 25th anniversary. I'm going to come up with this plan 
and we're going to stick to that plan and we're going to end that at 25 years. Um, and it worked great. It couldn't have been better. Um, <laughs> you, every, you know, you've been on tours before where, you, you know, you, you, you think you just have a tour that everything went wrong. Have you ever had a tour that just everything went wrong? Whether Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at one at a time, things are going having crew. This was a summer. 2017 was just a summer of just, if you took every issue that could possibly happen, weather, personnel, um, societal issues, um, social, it was all just there. And I was like, this is no fun anymore. Oh, and, wow. and fun, there's a sense of fun. Work can be fun. I've always had fun working. It was starting not to be fun. I said, if you don't get goosebumps every day when you open doors, it is time to get out. Right. And there was a moment in time where I wasn't started to see myself becoming that person that I never wanted to become. And that person worked in the first club I ever walked into at Fender Ball, Fender's Ballroom. I always call him that guy. We all know that guy. And you know him. The person that you're going, why are they still doing this in this business? If they're so miserable every day, why are they still doing this? And I said, I never want to become that person. So in 2017, I thought, and that's when that opportunity came up to teach. Started, all of a sudden, out of the blue, it was no plan. I had no plan to be a professor. They approached me. I said, this could be a great opportunity here to re-energize myself, to move forward for the next phase. So, you know, wrapping up Warped Tour was just in 2018. We had our second biggest year ever because I went, just went with that nostalgia vibe. We had announced that it was our last cross-country tour. 2019, we had these massive shows in Atlantic City and you know, what I like, a crazy show on the beach. It was a half mile long, motorcycle jumpers, cannonballs, you know, wow. everything at Warped Tour, wrestling on the beach, going on all at once. And then we, we ended it a couple days at Shoreline. You know, beautiful legacy. Bill Graham, I have a photo with me and Bill Graham. Like that. Oh, and I was like, I drove away with my wife and said, I'm okay. I'm cool. Nice. And not even realizing that we were going to be facing this pandemic. And then I had another knee surgery because I'm starting to put my body back together from dragging those barricades around by ourselves <laughs> and all those things that we used to do. And, uh, and but however... When someone tells you, when you leave on your own terms, it's cool. When someone yeah. says you can't do something, that's when your brain starts clicking. And that's where I'm at right now. It's, it's, been nice. it's been clicking a lot. And it's not just doing shows. It's about how to intersect and help this business move to that next phase. Um, young entrepreneurs, helping them get established, maybe raise some money, bringing in the right people to these companies. Because we will have a business moving forward. Oh, uh, we will, of course. It's good. But, you know, go, let's, let's go back to the Warped Tour because, you know, sure, everybody knows it was a, it was a, it was a, a traveling festival, pop-up stages, sound systems, you know, the X game aspect of it, music. But beyond that, there's so many other things inside it that I found so interesting. You know, um, the way, you know, you had something called the Kevin Says stage where you would have local bands and battles of the band and, and, and you would you would promote all this local activity to get that city you were in as excited about the warp tour as you and, and i always found that fascinating you know that's just 
you know, that, that was the thing I, I, I saw even when, you know, I learned that from lecturing on, on Lollapalooza, why we wrote the schedule every day, why we in bands played at different times, because I'd have to watch Henry Rollins playing at, at 1.20 in the afternoon every day to 1.50 and go, wow, wouldn't it be cool if Henry Rollins could play right before Jane's Addiction between when the amphitheater is full? Wouldn't that have been cool? You know, his, he's amazing, but he's not getting the avenue. And I think, you know, we, we worry so much, you know, I, I, I do tend to sometimes be cut things really simply. And I tell my students, you know, it's, you know, it, the biggest thing is everyone's worried about the billing all the time. Everyone's worrying about their set times. Once people got warped or no one worried about it because we reversed engineered the festival where 90% of the people come to a festival as t more towards the headliner. We reversed it till 90% of the people were lined up at doors because they might miss the headliner. Right. Well, you yeah. used to have this big inflatable that posted the, 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 so, the times. Tell me about that. So you, you, shuffled the, you shuffled the show times every day. So like you said, Henry Rollins didn't go on at one o'clock every day or whatever. But you had a big inflatable with the shows on that you would inflate? Someone had it on Instagram recently. They just did one where it was like the monolith that's popping up places. They took uh -huh. it to her blow up and put it out in the middle of the oh, right, right, right. The monolith. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, literally, I would write that schedule on the bus, um, sometimes the night before, sometimes the morning of, sometimes in the middle of the night. Um, I'd write, get up and write the schedule for the day. And then the band's road managers, and as, as being a former production, you, you know, people kind of, they had to come to the production office at nine o'clock. And they were told what time their band would play. And they weren't allowed to announce it out to the public until door times. And pre-social media and mass texting, the blow up was when it would, we would still use it right to the end. You blow it up, there's the schedule. And everyone ran in and building a sense of community in the sense of Warped was about a community. And communities are based on communication. So all of a sudden, those kids are lined up and they're trying to take photos and they're communicating and they're trying, but wait, we had to communicate before we came to Warped Tour because we had to decide if we're bringing three cans of food for the canned food drives and we have to bring old cell phones and we don't want our friend to forget to bring them because if not, he's going to have to be at the end of the line. We get to go. So it was, Warped was about, it grew into something that I felt we, we, we need is community. Um, I always say like if right now we've had a breakdown in society, we've lost the sense of community. But 96% of the people, if you put them in a like-minded space, could find common ground. And that's so agreed. And that common ground was found on Warp Tour a lot of times. People communicate and find this band, that band. Wait, we got to go see this band. And it started before people even came. It started a week at a time, two weeks, a month with the blood food. And you wanted to go to the blood drives. You want to do the blood drives. So, you know, you donate blood, you can qualify to go backstage. Wow. Um, you would get your gifts. So, um, I think I guess probably maybe a mistake that I maybe made, and I don't think believe it was a mistake. I never believed that we had to go out and tout what we did. We just did what we did. Yeah. I think that maybe I should have made a little bit bigger deal out in the public about what we did to, to outside Warp Tour, because in some senses, Warp Tour, because it was so different, but it wasn't for everyone, that it, the inner community, but that community was a strong community. And to this day, I believe that a lot of the essences, and I'm still stoked when I get emails from kids or I get things posted to me, hey, I'm doing shows in my basement, you know, pre-COVID, where entry was three cans of food. Thanks. Oh, wow. So, you know, now I'm just kind of fighting, and I think we're going to be at a turning point where I think we're going to see artists now kind of stepping. I think everyone realizes, and I think you're going to see a little more care by artists going out on the road. 
Um, I, started I started seeing that pre-COVID. You remember we used to have tables almost at every show. There was someone. Rock the Vote shows. Um, yeah. Rock Choice shows. Golden Voice was that company. We were producing all those benefit shows all the time. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't have a lot of memorabilia but I, that I care of. But I look back and go, wait, we were doing all this stuff back then. We, and now I'm starting to see bands. I mean, went with my daughter to see Joyce Manor and they were collecting pet food in front of the Palladium. <laughs> Donate to the local shelters. And I think every band, I think bands, I think bands are going to be look for bands that just care about something. Yeah. I mean, and, and you, and you, and you proved it. Yeah. I mean, the, the activism part of Warped is another thing that really fascinates me, you know, all these nonprofits and, you know, PETA, you know, you were, was a big involvement. I know because I was living in, in New Orleans at the time. You guys did a lot for, you know, Hurricane Katrina survivors, uh, which just went on and on. And and that that can't be lost. You know, when people think of Warped, that that is something they really need to keep in mind. How 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 much good Warped did for the community, or you know, like like you know, you weren't playing a show in New Orleans, but you helped New Orleans. You know, I mean, it just you you reached out and you, and you looked outside the box and 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 and. and, and you know, I think that's what I'm trying to do with now teaching, Chris. To be honest, the only thing that gives out a lot of times is your body. My body's wrecked. You know, it's feeling better than it has in a long time because it's having time to heal and take care of itself, but. I couldn't physically go the way I did. Everyone knows I worked the same way I did when I was dragging that barricade until the last year of Warped Tour. I was out dragging things across the sand at the last 25th anniversary of the Warped Tour. It helped a lot because the fire department saw me and the police chief saw me and they go, wait, the producers actually actually helped me set up the show. When we got in a little jam, they go, this guy knows, you know, he's, he's engaged in this, he's engaged. So now I'm just working with students, a, a focus group of kids. And we did the mental health festival last summer with Talinda Bennington. We did the 320 mental health festival that we pivoted from a physical event to an online event in five weeks from, you know, we were one of the first large scale online events, but now I'm trying to get these students that will take some of this. And it's interesting because 80 to 90% of my students now turn in their business plans and they have a philanthropic bent to it. Something that they will do. They want to make a living. They want to make a profit. They want to, but they understand that giving back when you have nothing, is easy and it just grows with your business. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping that, you know, while I still have the mental capacity and, and, the, and the ability to go out and work with these people to, to put that in their minds so they can go out in the world and spread that message in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's so important, you know, it's, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again and, and Matt's heard me say this, you know, it, it's our responsibility to, to help the next generation, you know, whether, whether it's me helping department heads or stage managers or burgeoning production managers or you with, with branding or whatever. It's, 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 you know, we have an opportunity to shape and mold things for the future. You know, if we don't, then it's just going to turn out the way it turns out. And then I don't think we want that. So I like that opportunity. I like being in a position to be able to help and, and, and guide and uh, mentor, you know, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the most important things I have in yeah. my life now. And, you know, people go, what is going to be your legacy? And I always say, when I walk backstage at a festival and I see 80% of the people got their first gig at the Warp Tour. <laughs> uh, yeah. When we started out, to be honest, the, the old traditional crews, the roadies, the crew, you know, the people we worked with really kind of looked down at the Warp Tour. Like, you know, we didn't, they looked down at us in a way. Like, you know, it, that's not how things are done. That's not how things are done. 
towards the end, you know, as Warped Tour, you know, went for many years, it started to be like people would say, oh, I saw they were on the resume that they worked the Warped Tour. That put them at the top of my list. Yeah. I, they're going to work hard. They're not going to complain. And they're going to have a good attitude. You know? So important. So important. And if that's your legacy when it's all done, then you've done your job. And, you know, yeah. more recently, I, you know, I know we're, we're talking a lot about needing to diversify our industry. You know, I looked at our industry when we were starting out, there was no females working in the live space, really. Very few. There were so few females that I would see that because people were coming through. I was working 300 and the crews were predominantly male, almost all exclusively male on the road. White male. Yeah. And, and, I, and white male. And I don't know if you remember, but when you'd come to those production offices, a lot of times I had females working for me at shows. I would have people, and I started to realize that we need to start. So I worked on diversifying into a female realm. Now, fast forward to now, we're starting to talk to diversifying and bringing people of color and different. And it was awesome when all of a sudden I heard about um, the organization that's being formed about diversifying the stages. And Jerome Crooks is one of the leaders with Noel from. Um, fits in the tantrums. And I was like, cool, because Jerome Crooks, his first gig outside of being like a local uh, runner or something was working for me on the work. I brought him out. He was my runner on work on Lollapalooza. He went and picked up my wife at the airport. And I said, you're a good dude, man. I'm going to bring you out and work for me someday. I'm you know, like, sure, sure, sure. And he came out and worked for me. So to hear that he's now taking the lead yeah. in that world, it makes me proud. That's he, well, he's very proud that he, you know, he cut his teeth working for you and, and, and learned a lot from you. He, he, he mentions it all the time. And as a matter of fact, we podcasted together and he, he brought that up. He's very proud, you know, and he's doing really well, man. He's at the top of his field. Yeah, but, you know, going, going, going back to going back to, to, to cruise and whatnot, you know, tell me how the Warped Roadies TV came about and, and what, what was your opinion of that? So I, I'll be honest, I've not really, I've not seen it, but, I, but I've heard about it. So tell me about that. Okay, super fun. It was interesting because it was like, that's the thing. I'm like, you know, everyone's like, wait, you know, we shot horror movies on Warped Tour. I don't know if you, if you ever, <laughs> we, we did a rock Holocaust series. Uh, from <laughs> films. If you ever want to dig up a funny movie, it's talk about B level, C level, D level acting. But it was like, okay, let's shoot a horror. Why not? It's a new, who cares? Let's go do this. And we actually shot this series of, of horror movies on Warp Tour for years. And it got to this point that we never asked, the, I never asked the manager, I never asked anyone to do it. We just did it with a few bands that before. And then every band said, I have to be part of this. I, and we have films with like Simple Plan, some 41. And then a band wasn't in it. And like Pennywise demanded they're in it. And they had to go shoot <laughs> or they're going to beat everyone up. That was Pennywise's way to get things done, you know? Um, we just, you know, it was doing it. So all of a sudden we had this great relationship with Fuse Television. Uh, you know, everyone was playing MTV and Fuse off each other. And I went over to Fuse and said, look, I'm not going to MTV anymore. I'd love to work with you. I want to, you know, we were probably bigger than Fuse was at that moment. And we had our own programming, Warped Wednesdays. We were getting all day programming for our bands. We were really ingrained. And they got approached about doing the Warped Roadies um, show. Um, and you know what? It went for a couple seasons. It was their second highest rated show against, um, oh, The Bounce, the show, oh God, Big Frida. It was getting- oh, right, right, from it, New Orleans. It was getting great ratings, but then we would have had season three, but then they sold the station. Um, okay. Season one, very, very organic. Season two, um, 
I had to really fight to keep the essence because, you know, that's when they start wanting to create the, I go, I don't need drama created. There's enough out here. We can, the storyline will naturally progress. Um, hey, we, we did it. Um, it was super fun. Uh, nothing better than walking down through uh, Manhattan one day and looking at Madison Square Gardens and that giant sign and there's all your crew people up on it. Oh, nice. uh, you know, it didn't hurt anyone. It didn't, maybe, uh, you know, it got a little, there was a couple, we were talking at dinner the other night because it came up and, and how some of the crew people let it maybe getting to their heads a little bit. I had to put them in check right away. <laughs> very much like, this is, you know, you don't change when the cameras come on. You know? uh, but it didn't hurt. And I think if you do ever get to see it, it gives a pretty good idea what goes on on, on a day on a tour. Where, where, where can someone see that? Is it, can you find it on YouTube or anything like that? Yeah, or I where? think the series are, the, 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 the episodes are up on YouTube or any, it's worth oh, Rope Rope Brody, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. going to have to see it. I'm going to have to see it. You know, in the show um, notes. You know, okay, we, great, yeah. We had fun with it and, uh, you know, that's the thing. Why not? You know. Why not? I agree. Reasons in our business to not versus why not. Yeah. You know, everything starts with a no in our business so often. Yeah. And everyone finds a reason. And I, even that today was like, I, I went out where we used to have giant Christmas parties at the house here and we have tubs and tubs and tubs of Christmas lights. And there's always a million reasons why not to put up those Christmas lights, but why not? So I was out there before I ran in here putting up because my two daughters will get to appreciate the Christmas lights this weekend. Absolutely. It can be a giant Christmas, but why not? And that was my whole thing. If you believe in yourself, in your brand, why not try things? And that's what the Warp Tour was. It was an open door for people to come all fall. My door was a revolving door of ideas. People would come in and, and we would use that umbrella to help people. Person wants to collect blood. Great, he wanted me to give tickets away. A ticket for anyone who donated blood. I go, that's not a business model I can work with. But you know what? The first year we gave backstage passes to everyone who donated blood. That was 3,000 people in Southern California. Wow. You know, that grew into the largest independent blood drive for multiple years, um, at least half a, half a, half a uh, decade of the largest independent blood drives in North America were based on the work tour. That's incredible. Anything, didn't sell more tickets, didn't do anything, didn't, but you know what? We put 50 to 70,000 pints of blood in food, in banks. We collect, started that food drive. Uh, you know, I would see people going, oh, wow, we have to charge $5 to skip the line at, at Live Nation amphitheaters. I go, no, 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 not at my shows. You donate three cans of food or donate $5 to the food bank. That's how we're going to run my show. It didn't work for everyone, but it worked for me. Yeah. And you know, we're going to give away free water. We're going to charge no more than $3 for a bottle of water. Doesn't work for every show, but we made it work for our shows. And you know what? Guess what? Now all shows look at, because I had to threaten to start a uh, class action lawsuit against Live Nation one day, <laughs> because I go, you're gouging people for water. You can't do that. I said, you bring it down to $3 and give away free water. That's, that's but it, my people, they can't afford $5 for a bottle of water. Yeah. That's, that's marking it. it, it and, it's, and it's water. It's not, it's not beer. It's something that on a hot day, people need to keep drinking. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a big argument. And to be honest, for a few years, I paid 50 cents a ticket. The person that came to my own show, I gave 50 cents to offset the water price. Wow. I didn't go out. I didn't go out that out into the world. I just thought it was a smart thing to do. And then one day I realized that now they were starting to put water filling stations. At it. I go, now I don't need to pay that anymore. I don't need to pay you to, that you've now realized that because you know what our medical 
our medical cases went down 70% when we dropped the price of water and gave free water. Wow. Well, there's an, op- there's an affiliation there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you know, on, 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 on what I've been talking about with other production managers, and I just, I did a podcast with Bill Leabody and we discussed, you know, uh, sustainability and carbon footprints and whatnot. And, and I, I, I do know you were one of the first that I heard of or knew of that used biodiesel. Yeah. That was a, that was a <laughs> Tell me what you used it for and how it worked out. Well, we and how hard it was to get. Well, at, at that point, I, it, of course, we we all know about Bio Willie. You know, Bio, Willie Nelson used biodiesel in his tour bus and his yeah. truck. So I was like, I'll track this down. So I called Bio Willie or you know, his company and said, I want to use biodiesel on my tour. And they said, Okay, you got a bus and a truck? I go, No, I have 19 semi trucks and 35 buses. And they laughed at me basically. And I said, okay. So I went, my friend, Tim Allen, who was kind of working on our sustainability. I said, go figure out how we're going to do biodiesel. So we would literally source biodiesel in each market and bring 600 gallons a day on site and fill up our generators. And, you know, I had to convince Mitch at Show Power, at Cat Power at that point. It was Show Power probably and then Cat Power. Um, And then kind of convinced the bus companies and they're like, well, biodiesel crusher. I said, well, we'll change the filters, whatever we need to do. We used to drive around with an extra trailer of filters and uh, source this out. And uh, it worked for a couple of years, but then we got into this point where people were really kind of gouging us on the biodiesel front. So I go, wait a second. Okay. So we're not going to do biodiesel. And and you have to balance cost. You know, it wasn't pennies. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars more, you know, Uh, we were paying $6 a gallon for biodiesel at times, you know? Uh, And, and I said, wait a second, we maybe need to redirect those funds because I'm not going to pay some uh, biodiesel robber somewhere to fill my buses. So that's where I made uh, just uh, recycled shopping bags before they were more common and gave every kid that came to Warp Tour a, a bag that they could take home with them with everything they collected on warp tour and use at their grocery stores. Oh, wow. Like, so, a, like a branded, a branded bag. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we built that solar stage. One of the, the first record, um, we used that solar stage all summer. And that was funny because it was, you know, now we're getting better. We're getting more and more efficient, just like in society as a whole, when they're starting to say that wind and solar are becoming just as efficient and cost effective because our business a lot of times is driven on economics is that we're going to have solutions that are the same cost as doing it the old ways. Um, we are going to be an industry that has to be ready. You know, we're, everyone's going to be asked to be more efficient in the next five years. Uh, yeah. Lighting design, sound designs. Um, we're, we're all going to be looking to cut our number of people on the road, trucks on the road. Uh, There's going to be a lot of opportunity, though, because I think a lot of people of our demographic have gotten home and found a job at home that maybe they can be a logistics operator of a trucking company or distribution company. And they've, for the first time in their lives, they've actually had a house and been in a home. Yeah. Uh, They're not living out of a suitcase and they go, wow, you know what? Maybe this is a lifestyle change that could be good for me in the long run. So I look at it as our business right now will be a lot of 40 year olds, uh, a lot of 20 year olds working for 40 year olds and a few of us who have been good to them we'll have consulting jobs for the next few years to help them bring them up to some of the things that, that don't change, you know, um, and teaching them how to build the relationships out there. But, you know, we are moving towards a more technology business. Uh, 
people are going to, you know, I, I, all my students are coming out, you know, I've got kids coming out of school that, you know, three that know how to do cinema 4D and, and on vector and, and mm -hmm. CAD is a, you know, I right away, you know, CAD is a big thing. I push my students when they're freshmen, start learning that CAD programming, you know, go in and learn your Adobe, get your Excel. So we, you know, that business of technology is, is really, I think we're going to be looking at it. I know and talking to people and sadly, some of those people that aren't getting their skills up to where they're expected at this point may find themselves out of work at this point. I agree. I agree. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a production manager for several years and I, I don't have CAD skills. You know, maybe I should have learned it this year when I had the chance, but a lot of the young production managers and department heads and stage managers, you know, they're, they're in the office all the time. You know, I mean, you know, most of the riggers have that skill and need that skill to, to, to you know, do well. But I've got stage managers sit in my office and design truck packs. You know, it's just incredible. You know, yeah. I mean, for us, you know, innate that maybe working that twelve years taught us how to load that trucks because I'd watch so many people not know it, and I'd sit there and go, "No, put that case there," because I was loading every different trucks every day. And and trust me, a lot of tourists were totally happy to have me figure out their truck packs on the spot. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it more efficient. They were more than happy. But you know, you know, now, you know, would there be a place for a Kevin Lyman in the business starting out? Um, I would definitely have to have a lot more technology skills and, and skills than I, yeah, than I did. Agreed. Back then agreed. we just kind of, we, we, it was more that we can get this done attitude and it yeah. hasn't been done, but now yeah. everything's been done. Yeah. Now everyone just looks for it to be more efficient and technology makes things more efficient. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, again, that's something I talk about in podcasts all the time. You know, we we figured everything out ourselves. You know, I mean, we were kind of the second wave behind the Bill Grahams and the Michael Aherns and whatnot, and and we kind of figured it out ourselves. We there were not older people. The production manager was twenty years old. The tour manager was twenty years old. There were not this hierarchy or this this experienced older mob was not around. And you brought you know? up Bill Leabody. But Bill's now teaching those younger production managers. Yeah. But the younger production managers are coming in with their own bag of skills. And Bill's just guiding them in kind of this transition to this new type of person on the road. Yeah, he is. So, you know, yeah, he is. Bill progressed to that kind of, he was great because he progressed himself. He, he kept putting in and he found his niche in where he would be. Yeah, he's doing I, well. I don't think Bill would want to. You know, we look, we all long and think about it sometimes, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm pr pretty sure Bill's happy. He doesn't have to get on a bus every night at two o'clock. <laughs> he and I, he and I, you know, talked about this for years. He keeps threatening to, to retire, but you know, this, this, this year off has just made people like myself and Bill and Marty Hom and all these guys that, you know what, we, we want more of this. We're not ready. You know, cause I look at this, I go, is this what retirement's like? You know, I, I'm not ready, you know? It's amazing how many people have called me and asked me during this time, how do you come become a professor? You know, how many well, let's talk about that. I yeah. mean, you've, you've, you've been talking about, you know, Professor Lyman for the last hour. And, and uh, I think I'm interested and I think people would be interested to, to go back to, you know, you, you teach at USC, what kind of professor are you? How do you get in it? And what, and what are your classes like? What are you up to? Well, it was interesting because there were some adjunct professors at USC who I mentored when they were starting in the business. Uh, Michael Kaminsky, Vivian Wang was my intern when she was at, at 
and she was handling the te technology for AEG. So I guess they all got together and said, we have this position open and we need someone that can understand a broad range of the business, probably focusing more on the live side. Right now, we, that's someone that's fitting. And they brought up my name. So they came and actually recruited me um, and said, look, you know, and it was timing. It's all about timing in life. You know, I wasn't looking for something, but I was knew I'd built this plan to wind warp tour down. So there was a couple, there was overlap time there where I was teaching and, you know, full-time and producing, a, a, you know, the way I was. I'm still producing a lot of different things and doing different things. But they, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, and Fran was with me and they said, oh, it's going to be a full-time job. And Fran's thinking in her mind going, wait, full-time trip for Kevin, that's 60, 80 hours a week. That's, you know, like, <laughs> that's, you know, you know he can't do another full-time job. You know, this is, and then they explained that it is, you know, the amount of hours, you know, it was like teaching eight hours, 10 hours a week. And then you put another 10 or 12 hours. So it was a 20 hour job. And I said, you know, nice transition. It's great to have, I, for a guy with no plan, all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is just a natural thing that fell in my lap as a progression. I love working with young people. I always feel believe, in many ways Warped was the largest classroom in America in some ways. It taught people how to tour. It taught crew people how to work. It taught brands how to become real brands, taught nonprofits to grow into national nonprofits. So this could be a great way for me to move into a world and kind of focus with a group. Um, no training, you know, the second week of teaching, I went into sepsis in the middle of class, almost, oh, no. died, in the, almost died in the middle of the class. Uh, so I always say that, you know, 38 years of the music business didn't kill me, but two weeks of teaching almost knocked me down. So uh, was it appendix or something? Uh, it was my knee, the, the, my knee replacement that, you know, I never allowed heal. I had a knee replacement, then a patch job. And, you know, I went into sepsis literally in the middle of class. And, uh, but luckily I was in class where there was cooler heads prevailed versus on tour where I would have crawled in the back of the tour bus and maybe never crawled out. You know, oh, don't worry, give me a couple aspirin, I'll lay down and see you in the morning. They, I got into the you know, emergency room and they did emergency surgery, um, right, you know, wow. saved my life pretty much that day. Um, and then uh, it just, it just seems natural. And now teaching and even having to move on to Zoom, I wasn't so set in my ways as a professor. I'm an associate professor. I'm a full-time professor. I'm not an adjunct. Um, you know, switching to Zoom was just another challenge. Like, okay, I got to figure out how to, you know, when you are teaching on Zoom, you are a performer. And I've seen enough performers in my life that you have to be able to perform as well as teach and get your message out, you know. And Zoom is just another platform that I've learned how to, to navigate and communicate through. So, you know, um, I guess I'm going to be teaching for a full few more years. Um, nice. Well, what's the class? Tell me about the, what, what is the class called? Or how many, maybe, maybe do you teach more than one class or just? I taught five classes last semester. And what are they, what are they called, for instance? Graduate branding, an undergraduate branding class. I did, a, I, my festivals class is always a lot of fun. People love that class. It's kind of history, but also how to produce a festival. Um, I had a class in, uh, there's a graduate program there that people come for one year to learn as much about our business as possible. So it's a crash course. So um, I did like a live a, a touring class. So the students, I break them into little groups and then one has to do a van tour. One's doing a theater tour. One's doing an arena tour. One's producing bands that have to go into fest. They create budgets and they, we work through on the processes. Um, this semester I do a forum where I actually bring in speakers from the industry. Um, I'm doing a class now on uh, contracts for, for venues, um, you know, uh, for venue management classes and all the roles that would go into running live uh, venues and things. So um, yeah, I get, this is gonna be my, I had four, I have four classes this semester. I teach all day and Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, I had eight hours a day. Um, 
two days a week online. That's a, a world oh, wow. itself. And uh, really enjoying it. I told them I will teach as long as I feel relevant to teach. I think there's so many people that our business is fast paced. It's changing, evolving by the day right now. You know, I mean, we look at what they just announced with a, you know, being having package of the Senate bill that we actually are going to get some money to help with our venues. Um, you know, that's something that I'm writing into my classes today. That will be one of the first things we talk about in one of my classes, um, which venues and how they will be saved and how we're that, you know, wh where we got ourselves. And then we're kind of looking at, how do we build the safety net that I've been pushing for so long with Music Cares, being on the board of Music Cares? How are we going to look at our industry so when we're faced with a crisis like this, again, we're not trying to uh, fix it, try to fix it on the back end. We're fixing it on the front end. So maybe my idea where I donated 25 cents from every ticket I ever did on any of my festivals I produced went to Music Cares. Now we're going to maybe look at it. We should do something where 25 cents of every ticket sold in North America goes into a fund as a safety net for our industry. Yeah. And people will start listening because I pushed it and pushed it. And a few bands from my world stepped up and did it. And I love to say that the interrupters, they did a dollar a ticket on their last tour and they went to oh, wow. theirs. And um, maybe as an industry, we'll start looking at it because I think everyone's been knocked off their high horse right now. Um, no one's on their high horse in our industry. I think it got too skewed to this point of live and maybe those agents were on the high horse or maybe the, some of the promoters were, but we've all been knocked down. We're all starting at a certain ground level again. And if we're going to build this business, we've learned that we're all interconnected and intertwined. And now you have these new avenues of streaming. You have these new avenues of things like cameo things that is going to be blend. So it doesn't become a hundred, you know, that we're not 70, 80% dependent on live. Um, but we also realize that um, business is going to change. It's not just going to be running and getting a live nation national tour offer and hitting the road. Right. It's going to be, a, it's going to take smart production managers, smart touring people, cooperation um, with everyone and embracing these new technologies like live streaming and how they're going to fit in post COVID when so many people will be suffering from P PTSD and how we're going to move forward that way and service them. They want with entertainment and music. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's painful time right now. It's super painful. It's, so painful. it's painful for so many people I know and, and so many people, but I am very proud of hearing more and more of the people that have worked for me and with me have found little niches for themselves. I have one person who worked for me who's building Shopify sites for people now. Uh, most, a lot of them have pivoted to working in the streaming world. Um, there's still a few that are suffering out there, but more and more of them I'm hearing, they're kind of like, wow, I, I kind of just, figured it out and got on, got going. And then they'll have some choices going back. Do I go back on the road or do I settle down and maybe not do that? And it'll open the doors for all these awesome kids. Yeah. I'm for. We're, yeah. we're going to, we're going to lose a, a lot of people in our industry to, you know, that, that had to go elsewhere and that had to, you know, dive into uh, a new way to make money to pay their mortgage, to, to feed the families and whatnot. And, you well, know, we're going to lose a lot of people. I wish the U.S. government would have hired all of us to figure out how to get this vaccine around the country and yeah, how to just exactly. figure it out. We would have done just fine. You know, we, uh, we you know, I, I, I watch that and I go, you know, we sometimes we, we come off, but it's, you throw a professor in front of your name and all of a sudden people pay attention to you. <laughs> you know? Maybe I should do that. 
Yeah, punk rock Kevin from the parking lots is like whatever. A certain group of people listen, but uh, funny. So some of my messaging may be getting out there to some different people. At nice, this nice. Well, you you were just talking about how proud you were of 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 you know your your crews and your personnel and the people that 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 worked with you for a long time or maybe just a little while. And, you know, uh, you're, you're very proud of them, and, and you should. They're they're kind of like your children in a way. But you you've also got to be proud of you know, that band that showed up in a van and wasn't making any money and got on stage and, and, and learned their craft on a pop-up stage at Warped that, that are, are fucking best-selling through the roof multimillionaires now. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to take a little pride in that as well, don't you? You do. Uh, you do. Um, and, I, and I get to see some of them. And, and a lot of them came back and played that 25th anniversary show. And some go on and, and you never hear from them again, but that's okay. That's, you know, it's hard. Like I said, it's transient, you know, um, I, you know, they, we all played a, a, a role in our lives at a certain point. Um, and, you know, um, you can't really deny that moment, but you know, the people have gone on and then there's those that'll come back in and all of a sudden say, Hey, I'm there for you. Let's do this. You know, blink one, eight, two playing the 25th anniversary show. Nice. You know? The offspring, nice. comes back, you know, 35,000 people on the beach, you know, me with my crazy site that was a half mile long and battling the high tides and, and these bands coming down and we still didn't tell the public what time people were playing and all this craziness and, you know, um, but, you know, it, it's a good run. But like I said, you know, we, we work in a business and I learned very quickly and I've always felt that, you know, you're going to know who's there when you stop making the money. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that the truth? And, uh, you know, I really got the rude awakening of that. You throw a combination of you, you ending a warp tour and you going into a health crisis, which we hate health crisis in our industry because we're internally young. We don't want to ever admit that we are vulnerable and potentially um, our lives, our bodies are going to. So I had the double whammy of, Hey, I'm not going to make you guys as much money anymore. I'm not going to, uh, I'm also physically not, that young kid jumping around like I used to be. And then you really realized who was going to be there. And you know what? You're not going to have a 600 person Christmas party the day you can. You know what? You're going to have a much better party for about 60 people. Nice. Yeah, that's and, very true. And, and it, it'd probably be pretty fun. Yeah. And you're going to focus on those people and you're going to start building those relationships that maybe you didn't have time for because we've missed weddings. We've missed birthdays. We've missed so much from of those normal things in our lives that maybe this last chapter of my life, you know what, I'm gonna take that time to really know people. I agree, I agree, I feel the same way. I feel the same way as, as, as I get older, I find, I find myself changing physically and mentally and, and you know, my heart is changing as well you know and it, it, oh, it's, 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 it, it and it's and it's wonderful too i love the feeling i love i love i love it That's so, the with zoom i always say that you only feel old when you look in the mirror now you look <laughs> yourself on zoom all day long and you're like wait a second like, <laughs> you, know, you know it's definitely zoom has changed and you you start looking at yourself and going wow where did those wrinkles come from or where i know i know hey well i know i know you've got uh, your smoker going i know you've got food cooking and i know i know yeah. your time is short but but you know in, in in a nutshell you know i don't know how i want to ask this question you know i i i guess what i'm trying to get at is is there is the legacy of warped 
is there anything left? Is there, is there a next step for Warped or, or, or is that brand exist anymore for, for you? We agreed that we would, we have a time frame to put it away for a while. You know, um, a 25 year old marriage, a 25 year old relationship, and though it was very good, had times and people, partners change and things, that it was just maybe time, let's let it, let's put it away for a little bit. You know, I did the It's Not Dead festival, that punk show where I brought all the old punk bands back and called it It's Not Dead and ran it like a warp tour, which was amazing. You know, another 30,000 people out at DeVore, you know, out at, uh, we'd never even used the main stage. We just set it up in the fields. Um, I did register uh, back from the Dead Festival. Maybe that might be something if it feels right to do when we come back from all this. Um, but, you know, I, I did those things for my heart. There was a moment in time where you have to do shows for your heart. And that It's Not Dead Festival bringing no effects, Pennywise, Bad Religion, Descendants, all my friends backstage. Because there was a point in time when you're not touring with, with Warp, you weren't touring. I became either a mentor or a disciplinarian. I wasn't a peer to these people anymore. Um, I wanted to do something where it was for my heart and soul. And my wife goes, can't we just like do some, why do you have to risk like everything every time you do something with your heart and soul? And I go, you know what? I'm going to put this punk rock show together. We're going to spin a wheel for headliners. I'm going to call all the, you know, I called all the lead singers and they all laughed because they all said, you'd say like, oh yeah, Fat Mike's in already. And then I'd call him on a cell. He goes, did he just tell you I'm in? He told me you were in. And then, you know, they were all in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I miss those people. Those are the people that I grew up back in those clubs with. And those are the people that really are the people that were ingrained in your DNA. Now I created that these, I created what I did for other generations, but really I was just kind of the maestro and the curator behind the scenes. And um, you have to do things. Is there something out there? Absolutely. Um, do I know when? No rush. And, I'm, and I feel very fortunate to be in that position. Because if I did have a large scale tour scheduled for 2020, we could, it'd be a whole different story. It could have wiped out a, a, a person like me. Well, you know, Kevin, uh, it's been so wonderful chatting with you, you know, uh, just, just seeing you and just look, I mean, looking at you, I, 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 I realize how much I miss you because, you know. Well, I'm going to track you down because, uh, you know, we got rid of the tour bus and now I have a sprinter van and uh, me and my wife will be, we're planning on hitting the road for a month this this year, which obviously didn't happen, but uh, we're planning on hitting the road. I, if it's not this May, it'll be the next May. Um, like I said, it's a great time to think about the future. Sometimes yeah. it's hard to make concrete plans. It's it's time to it's time to start retooling and re and re and reimagining, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and with sustainability, with you know ways we can you know not pollute the world and and yeah. you know ways we can keep people safe and you know. What do you think, Matt? Do you agree? I'd be fighting so Absolutely. hard for the next election. I mean, you had some great insights in there, Kevin. That was fantastic. You know, everything that you shared with us and, and your outlook on the world. And, and I love the compassion spin to it. You know, we need to find ways to pull this kind of stuff off and pull people together for a common cause rather than, you know, the, the almighty dollar. So for sure, it was fantastic. Hey, I've had a better... I never was a driven by money, but I tell you, I had a... You know, I've been in a better position than I ever thought of in life, you know, and it wasn't chasing the dollar number one. It came just because you work, you, you did good things and, you know, raising a family and not having any debt is, was a, is an amazing thing at the end of all this. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, if you get out to California, I do expect you reaching out now. Yeah. Um, 
you know, whenever that road calls and you guys are out on the road or if you just happen to be passing through. Yeah, well, please, please tell Fran that I said hi because I haven't seen her in, 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 in freaking forever. You, I remember that you had that house up in Pasadena. Who was that, that rapper you used to live next door to? You, you, you had a house oh, next to Vermont, the old one when Snoop Dogg lived there. Snoop Dogg, you lived yeah. next door to Snoop Dogg. How funny, I remember Vermont. that. Yeah, we're out in Altadena now. We're, we're out here. We've been here 20 years, but that was, uh, yeah, he was right down the street from us. So. <laughs> That's good. All right, man. Enjoy your, enjoy your evening. Have a merry, merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, my best to all of you, Professor Lyman. Yeah. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. That was Cheers. awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.